Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace, your mercy that brings together people of every tribe, tongue, and nation to come and worship you and your son, Jesus Christ, to celebrate the great work of redemption that you have accomplished. You have accomplished it on the cross of Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, but you are accomplishing it in our lives as we walk through this side of glory and understand the weight, the value of your salvation so we might come to that great wedding feast at the end of time, grateful with anticipation and a joy that will never cease. Bless our time of fellowship and understanding of these things now. In Christ's name, amen. All right, kids, well, you are sent forth to your Sunday school. All right, so last week we kind of focused on the creation narrative and we ended with the idea of God has a particular manner upon which he does things. It's not just the power, it's not just the ability, but the way things are done. His character is going to harness, it's going to drive his power. Think about the common question a lot of people will ask, well, you know, if he's God, why can't he lie? As the Bible says that he can't lie. If he's all-powerful, why can't he lie? That, that, those type of questions, they're, they're missing the point. That God has a particular way of going about things. It's not just about ability. It's about the manner. And with that, I wanted to kind of briefly walk over this concept that I think would be profitable. So when God creates, he speaks truth. In a particular manner, right? And he does it in a particular time. When God makes all things in six days, could he have done it in one day? Of course he could. Of course he could. But he decides in that manner to make things in the space of six days. What can we kind of take away from his way of doing things? So we, uh, we, we work, we do things in, according to the manner of God. Right? When we speak the gospel and we witness to people, right? Our witness is God recreating in them by the power of the Holy Spirit a new creation in Christ. So he's fundamentally doing the same thing in Genesis as he's doing to you now in your salvation, right? It begins with speaking the truth in love, right? Ephesians 4. And the manner, what does the Bible say about the manner upon which we are to speak? Obviously that, I gave it away, the speak the truth in love. But also, the letters of Peter, what does it say? We are to witness in reverence and respect to other people. With reverence and respect, we are to be faithful to the truth, but there's a way that we should go about things, right? And like I said, in the, in the space that God chooses to do things... There is also a time constraint to how we witness. An example, as pastors, when we go to a hospital and we visit the sick that are about to die, do we go into it speaking about God's decree? Do we go into it speaking to saying, God has decreed your death in this moment, and therefore it will happen? No, right? It's not that that's not true. That is true. 
But we're going to go in it as pastors, highlighting that God has empathized with our condition. He himself took the very form of creatureliness to take on our infirmities, and he knows what death feels like. He knows the burden. And therefore, we are united to Christ, and we cling to him by faith in this moment and time of need. I'm not going into the decree. I could go there afterwards, right, and some other point. But this is important, because a lot of what goes on in the Reformed world We are a particular group that are very confident in the truth that we have in the scriptures. But we often look past the manner upon which we do things. We often don't understand the time that we have to do things. That there is a moment that maybe it's better to not talk about this right now. Maybe it's better to do it afterwards. Right? And there's a way that we are to address other people. First Timothy talks about how we are to address the elderly as fathers. The elderly women as mothers. There's, we don't just come in blasting the truth because we're Calvinists. Right? And we have this mode, and it's something that I've seen in our circles, that if it's not my way, we're going to implode the church. We're going to divide it. If you don't read the King James only Bible, then you are corrupted church. You have nothing to do with us. You have nothing to do with the Reformation. If you only sing psalms, you know, on and so forth. Okay? Why? Why do we implode these things? Our mission is very, very narrowly focused. According to Christ and the Great Commission, is to disciple the nations to obey Christ and all that he taught. Very singular focus. And we can debate in truth and love all the other periphery matters. But the focus is that. When we make the mission of the church, discipling the nations according to the gospel, and my little take on what we should be doing, disregarding the church history, then we're, we're violating what God has done. We're not living according to God. We're not understanding that it's not just about saying the truth. It's the way we say things. It's not just about saying it right then and there. Sometimes it takes patience and perseverance and love. And sometimes it's better to be quiet. Right? Those are things that we take away from the creation narrative. The other thing is that God obviously works with seeds, growth. And he sees things to go into full fruition. He just doesn't drop things, right? And we see that the picture of the church, what do we see? It's a tree. He he drives home this illustration of a tree. We see it in Psalm Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. And I'm just going to read it real quick. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Psalm 1 is talking about the man that delights in God's law. He is like a tree. Why? Because he doesn't go with the winds of doctrine. He is planted firmly. How does that condition develop to be a firm plant, a firm vine? We develop it. We are committed to it. In season, out of season. We water it. We care for it. Think of the image of a gardener. What does a gardener do? 
Every day, it's the same routine. And does he see in the moment in time the growth? No, growth comes slowly. That's why trees are just everywhere. It's the testimony of God and how he does things. And that's why the fig tree, the vine, all these tree images is to communicate something to us. Be consistent. Work from seed. Go through the growth process. Care give. And see the tree to its full fruition at the end of all things, right? So those are the two things that I kind of wanted to highlight so we could be fresh in our minds. It's not just about the truth. It's about the way we go about things. It's the timing that we go about things. It's, it's seed, growth, full fruition. Let's persevere. Let's be the church with one another. Let us persevere. Let us love one another consistently in season, out of season, so we might bear good fruit. That is the narrative of God's creation. Now, let's talk a little bit about the Sabbath. Any questions, comments? You're free to make one. All right. So the Sabbath is set... as the climax of creation. Somebody. Jackie, can you please read to me Genesis 2? Jacqueline Rodriguez, not my wife. <laughs> Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. So the mighty work of creation, and I have to use that descriptor of mighty because it is. The mighty work of creation demands observance and refreshment. A lot. By virtue of its creator. So the Sabbath is pointing to the worth of the work done. That's the first thing we have to see. Of why God separated and sanctified that day was that he began a work and he completed it. And Think about what we discussed about the impassibility of God. God has no need to move. God has, is not compelled by anything outside himself. So when he decides to move, when he decides to create, when he decides to condescend, and we'll look at that when he creates us, the proximity, the intimacy, that deserves observance, not deserve, it demands observance, and it demands joyful refreshment. Those are the two things, observance and refreshment, because the immense worth of the place that we are living in. We take it for granted because our hearts are restless. Right? That great quote from Augustine. But God, he sees what he does in creation, and that demands, wait a second, pause. Let's look at this. (laughs) Let's enjoy this. Look how everything is working in rhythm. 
in harmony. You can look at creation from a bird's eye view and see its beauty. You could look at the subatomic particles. There's different worlds as we go in it. Look at the vast mystery of the ocean. We've only explored about 5% of the ocean. We don't know what beasts are in there. (laughs) There's so much, so much wonder that is praising the glory of the God who made it. And we are just so self-consumed in our own stories. Self-absorbed in our narratives. But what we see here in Genesis 2, what was made deserves observance and refreshment. Okay? And the second thing, what God makes, He finishes. <laughs> what God promises, He fulfills. Now, look at that from the prism of our lack of completion. Count with, in your moment, the moments of your lives, the few events that you have started something (laughs) and have sought it through to the end and have completed the work. I can count with my hands the things that I have completed, have cared for. Keep in mind the seed growth full fruition motif, right? And then halfway in and I'm like, ah, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to, you know, because we're so impulsive and we're so instant gratification drives our interests. But we see that God isn't that way. He takes the time. He takes the care because it has infinite worth because he is an infinite worthy God and he assesses it as good. So what God begins, he finishes what he promises he fulfills. And thirdly, and we're just going to focus on this. Because the Bible talks so much after the fall of the value of the Sabbath. It's the fourth commandment. It's the way that you should think. The first table of the law. Our relationship to God. The second table, our relationship to one another. That first table is what Adam should have thought when he was tempted. It's what Jesus, what how he thinks and acts is according to that. Faithful, consistent, no gods before him. God is orienting every aspect of our lives. And you think about the image making. Don't use your imagination. When it's referencing God, don't use your, don't make up stuff. Live according to God, right? And we see this in the Sabbath as well as when you complete a work, when you're working something, you complete it, you observe it, and you do all things for the glory of God. This is the motif that Adam should have done. And I'm just going to write this down real quick. The life standard that God establishes is begin a work, complete a work, assess it as good, and enter into refreshment and rest. That's what your life should look like. Every second of the day, your work is reflecting the glory of God. You complete your work to the honor and glory of God. You assess it as good, objectively looking at it and saying, by God's grace, for his honor and glory, it is good. And anyone can come and see it and see the same thing. And then you enter into rest 
and refreshment remembering the work. Done. That's the life standard. That's what Adam should have done. And that's what Christ ultimately does. He follows this very simple way of life. There's, there's very simple. But how do we complicate it? How many times do we, like I said, we don't complete what we start. Or we go back on our word. Our vows mean nothing. We break them. Like if they're meaningless, we are driven by impulsivity. About our immediate gratifications, we're like beasts. We are acting according to impulse. Whatever the desires of the flesh demand, we do. Yet this is what God is doing in the Sabbath. And we see that ultimately fulfilled in Hebrews chapter 4, but we don't have time to kind of go into that. Hebrews chapter 4 is the rest motif that Jesus enters into as our high priest. And the author is speaking. If you want, you can go over it in your house. Hebrews chapter 4, the entire book of Hebrews is extremely valuable. Before I thought that the book of Romans was the one jewel. But I think, I'm starting to think that the book of Hebrews is the center of the New Testament. Because it highlights just how Christ is the second Adam. He is doing this very thing. He began a work. He came. He became man. And then he developed that work at every juncture of his life to obey his father and every aspect of the law from thought, word, and deed. Every aspect. He grows that work. He develops that work. And when he offers his life on the cross, Jackie pointed, pointed this out last week. When he says, it is finished, is that work is finished. As the second Adam, he is offering his life, his perfect work, and saying, I'm done. And then he enters into this Sabbath, this time of between the Saturday and Sunday, the resurrection. This time of rest because it is done, it is finished. And it's not just about your salvation, but of creation itself. You know, the Gospel of John is the only one that records soldiers coming. And confusing Christ as a gardener. Isn't that a nice little interesting detail? I mean, it's like a gardener was there. As if what he just has made, has accomplished on the cross, is a new creation. Jesus is called the firstborn of the dead. He is the firstborn of a new creation. And in him, we will resurrect as a new creation. And we see the firstfruits of that new creation in his resurrected body. So we have to keep these two things very clear in our minds when we read scripture. Between Adam and Christ. Between the way Adam should have lived his life, the way God had established the life standard, and how Christ is ultimately the only one who does that very life. Okay? And the development of scriptures is all the complications that sin tries to come up with to not live life according to God. All of the the sinful instant gratifications that we desire, whether it's adultery, fornication, lying, murdering, all these different things that we do is just to avoid this very simple, very real truth. So the Sabbath is set up to observe and honor God in light of what? 
in light of the work done in his name. Okay? This is an important thing, too. When God mentions the worth of his name, and he does so at every juncture of his commands in the Old Testament. Why? I am Yahweh your God. I am. All the time. That's his justification. It doesn't point to some other ulterior motive, whatever it might be, or some other reason why you should obey. It's because he is Yahweh God. His name contains the greatness of creation. His name contains everything that you and I should strive to live for. So when he mentions it, that's what, sh- that's what should come to mind. And when we come here on the Sabbath to celebrate the Christian Sabbath, it's a different motif, but that's for another Sunday school. We remember that name that has been made above every other name, Philippians chapter 2. We celebrate the name of Christ. For he is the one who enters the Sabbath. He enters the rest. Because he has lived the life perfectly unto God as our second Adam and high priest. And because of that, you and I can come here with our imperfect Sabbath keeping. Let's be frank. That's why it's a delight and not a yoke. Because even if we are singing the right hymns, if we are singing the songs, if or doing instruments in worship, or not. No, no matter what your standard of perfection is, your heart, brothers and sisters, your heart, come on. We have to come to the understanding that our heart is circumcised only by the grace of Christ. Our Sabbath keeping is imperfect. It will always be imperfect until we reach the final form of the rest in Christ at the end of time. Now, don't understand me as being loose with Sabbath worship, because I'm not. But what we should do is come to it with a posture of humility, of gratitude, of love, and grace for one another. That's what I'm saying, okay? For the sake of him who has been our true rest, Christ Jesus. So in light of the work done in his name, the Sabbath is for refreshment, delight, and communion with God. Okay? That's the second, that's the next motif we're going to move into, is the fellowship and communion with humanity. I have three minutes. I'm just going to mention some of the larger things, and I'll read you a quote. The fellowship and communion with humanity So God makes all things, and he does so by the word of his power. But there's something special about humanity. There's a special act that God does, and we're going to look at it next week. But I'll read you the first first quote from Dr. Morales' book. And he says about these things. While being made in God's image, both qualified and commissioned, Adam to rule caringly over the house of creation on God's behalf. Yet the chief delight and privilege of such likeness to God was in humanity's unique ability to gaze heavenward, to lift our faces to God and relate to him. No other creature could enjoy such friendship with the eternal God. So the first aspect we're going to look at next week is this proximity. 
when God decides to make man, the words that the Hebrew uses, breathing life into his nostrils, there's this intimacy that happens with man that is different from the rest of creation. And remember what we discuss about the impassibility of God. So when God moves and he moves that way, there's something different about that. And we're going to look at it next week in the negatives. We're going to see how the proximity changes after we sin and how there are degrees of proximity that God then develops with his prophets that then gets ultimately fulfilled in Christ. The proximity distance gets closed when Christ comes and speaks to us mouth to mouth. But we'll see it next week. Any questions? Comments? All right. So let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for this time that you've provided for us, for reminding us of how you do things, Lord. That you speak things into existence and you do it in a particular manner. And that you take your time to do these things, Lord. Help us, show us how to be a patient people, a loving people, that speak the truth in love and are refreshing one another on a day like today that you have given us Christ and his life broken for us. Help us to be more like you in our daily lives. Help us to complete work. Help us to do it excellently. Help us, Lord, so that others might see the good in what we do to your honor and glory. Bless this time of fellowship now. In Christ's name, amen.